Welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast, the show that helps you to reach more people, help more people, and build the life you want to live by doing more than therapy. Welcome to today's Business of Psychology podcast and today I'm really excited to be joined by Dr. Rebecca Tennyson. Rebecca is a clinical psychologist and an Enneagram coach working both in private practice and in the NHS. So it's lovely to see you today Rebecca. It's really nice to be on the podcast. I've listened to you a lot. So, <laughs> Oh gosh, that feels like pressure. <laughs> um, but today I'd really love to hear how you discovered the Enneagram. It's not something I know a lot about. Um, and I, so I'd love to hear how you're using it to change people's lives, really. Um, so first, can you explain for those of us who don't know what the Enneagram actually is? Yeah, so this is actually something that I, I always know I'm going to be asked whenever I talk about the Enneagram because most people don't know what it is. And I have to practice my answer a little bit because I am so passionate about it, but it is so complex that I can just start waffling all over the place. But in a nutshell, it is a personality typology, really, that's based around the idea of nine core types. Um, but it's all about your motivations and not your behavior. So it's really not supposed to be something that's just descriptive and that gives labels or puts people in boxes um, and says, oh, here's a little bit of information about you. It's very, uh, it's a very dynamic model. It's supposed to be very transformative and all about personal growth. So what do you do with this information about yourself now that you're understanding yourself a little bit better in this way? Um, and all of the different types if you if you Google it, Google Enneagram, there's this nice little um, kind of diagram with nine points around the outside and you'll see that there are ways that they're all linked. Um, and so, again, it's, it's a model of, of movement and thinking about how um, types of, and different personality traits and types are connected um, and how we are. I suppose have greater access to different kinds of personality traits naturally, which can then help you to see obviously what your strengths are and what your blind spots are. So think about how you might need to be more intentional about bringing in different aspects that would be useful to you in different times, as well as when you, um, I suppose, just have to really press into your natural strengths. Um, but yeah, the, the psychologist in me just adored the complexity of it when I first discovered it. And I think I've always been quite interested in personality as concept. My uh, dad, when I was a teenager, he was training to be a counsellor um, in transactional analysis. I remember having lots of conversations with him about um, kind of performing and surviving personality adaptations and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, love a good magazine quiz. What kind of cocktail are you or anything like that? Right from the very, very pop psychology kind of end all the way up to um, something that's a bit more meaningful. Um, and when I discovered the Enneagram, I was immediately hit by how, for me, it just felt like it had so much more depth um, than anything else I'd ever come across um, and that it could be used so extensively in my own personal life as well as as professionally. Um, I love that there are so many facets to it that help you to feel like an individual and that really value uniqueness which again I think can be very difficult when you are doing any kind of personality work it can feel like you're just trying to put people in boxes um, but one of my favorite quotes about the Enneagram is the Enneagram doesn't put you into a box it helps you to get out of the box you're already in mm -hmm. by noticing what it is that you have ended up um, developing as part of your personality really as ways of trying to survive in this world but that are limiting you I suppose so um, yeah that's really interesting because I think without knowing anything about it 
I've heard on business podcasts in particular, in particular, people being like, oh, I'm a type eight. Is that a thing? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> One to nine. Yeah. So I've heard people talking about being type eight sometimes. And I've always worried a little bit. Oh, is that limiting people slightly? Um, but actually, it sounds like it's all about kind of empowerment and noticing stuff about yourself so that you can find the pathway to maybe grow and, and develop. Absolutely. And the core, like I said, it's not about behavior. It is about motivation. So um, it's really important that you don't think that you can type other people. You can't guess what people are just by even knowing quite a lot about them, really, because what you know, two people can look very similar. So me and my best friend, for example, I remember having conversations with her about this really early on. And we realized that we are very similar in lots of very superficial ways. And then as soon as we started uncovering some more of this, of the, of the depth of the Enneagram work, which we discovered at a similar time, we realized that, oh, sometimes this is why we clash because we think we're really similar, but actually we need such different things in these situations. And actually our motivations behind doing certain things. So for example, we're both very organized, but the reasons that we think it's important to be organized are very, very different. Um, so yeah, the, the core of these core motivations are all about things that, um, we fundamentally believe about the world, the way that we see the world, the way that we see interactions with other people, the things that we really fear and the things that we really desire. And if you saw a list of all of the core kind of fears and desires and motivations, you'd go, oh, yeah, you know, they're all things that obviously nobody wants to feel insecure or overpowered or unwanted or unworthy everybody wants to feel calm and loved and appreciated and you know they're all nobody would go oh that one doesn't really matter to me but there'll always be one that at the core is just so much more important to you and then again that that is what will fundamentally drive pretty much everything um, but again the complexity of that takes into account that there will be so much that happens in your life and so many different people around you who bring their own personalities and things that will influence that in very obvious and then much more subtle ways mm. um, yeah that is fascinating because I, I think I've, I've got a close friend in particular who my husband always says how do you guys get on so well because <laughs> on the surface we look really really different we've had really different lives really different experiences in a lot of ways and you know, I, I am somebody that appears to live quite an organized and disciplined life. I, I like doing things like exercise. I like a bit of routine. Um, whereas she is total chaos, total, <laughs> total chaos. Her life looks unmanageable to me. But I've always had this feeling that at our core, the things that motivate and drive us are just the same. And we connect on a really deep level and are similar deep down, even though our behaviors can be quite different um, and I guess it speaks to that really. Yeah absolutely and one of the kind of key questions that I always get asked about relationships as well friendships or romantic relationships or anything is like what's the best pairing what's the best you know type to go with which type um, and that's not how it works at all any type can be just as good with any other type it's about that self-awareness about the awareness of how you are similar and how you are different and whether you can appreciate and value somebody else's perspective as well as seeing that if you are the same type as somebody then you're in, as a team then you're going to have massive blind spots um, and need to know where yeah where you just need to be more aware of that and question that a little bit um but there are various different ways in which different types are linked as well so there are um a set of what called triads groups of three numbers that share um some commonality 
um, and therefore every type is linked with every other type in some sort of way. So, for example, one of the most basic ones is around centres of intelligence. So thinking that we get information through the world um, through our emotions, through thinking and through our kind of bodily sensations or gut instincts. And we, we all get information through all three of those, but there'll be one that we primarily get information through and then one that supports that and then one that is repressed. So twos, threes and fours are in what's called the heart triad. Five, sixes and sevens are in the head triad. And then eights, nines and ones are in the gut triad. So me and my friend are both in the heart triad. So again, even though we do have a lot of differences, um, one thing that we both really appreciate and connect on is the fact that we are going to be both very emotional people who are very aware of the emotional um, kind of temperature of a situation or a room or how we're doing. Um, and so conversations about emotions and deep conversations about emotions is something that we are absolutely always up for. And we never find that overwhelming. So that's been something that we've connected on right from the start. Um, and then for people in other triads where we might have struggled more to be close to people because maybe they don't want to talk about emotions as much, or maybe they don't feel like um, they're as aware of emotions, either their own or other people's. Knowing that that's not because they don't care about that or because they're not listening to us. It's just that they, they are accessing the world in a slightly different way and different pieces of information are going to come for them first. Just helps us, again, to be a bit more compassionate um, about those conversations. So uh, you've had my husband, Jace, on the podcast and he's in the gut triad. So if I ask him how he's feeling, he needs longer to answer that the way that I want it answered. Mm. Um, I need to give him a bit more time around that. Um, and I'm, I'm much more likely to be able to just ask him about his kind of general sense of how things are and then ask him what he's thinking about a situation before I'm then able to get the kind of emotional conversation that I might need to have with my friends, for example. Um, so it, it just is, yeah, just very much about awareness and how you then end up having conversations with different people and, and explain things about yourself that you assume everybody else knows because if you think that everybody else is experiencing a situation or sees the world the same way you do then you don't realize when you have to explain your perspective do you so then often I found particularly with this the more I understand about myself the more I'm able to explain that to other people the more other people then go oh that's really interesting that's not like me at all and then it opens up the floodgates but I think sometimes that offering a piece of yourself helps other people to then think about how to talk about themselves whereas if you just asked a question about that they wouldn't necessarily know what you're getting at that sounds like a really powerful concept and my head is kind of pinging in all kinds of directions <laughs> with all the kind of clinical applications um, that this could be useful for and I know that in the NHS you were working with children and families so how did you start incorporating this into your practice yeah, so I came across the Enneagram because one of my uh, friends was talking about it once. And I, again, my brain was kind of pinging. I was on the other side of the room having a different conversation with somebody else, but they were talking about personality. So I started to zone out of that conversation. I was like, so I'm going to talk to this person about this thing. Um, and the more they talked about it, the more I just thought, oh my gosh, that's fascinating. And they lent me a book and then I listened to a podcast. And at the beginning, I was looking at the descriptions and thinking, oh, I could be two or three of these types which is really really common you know there's um you probably would see bits of yourself in most of the types so it can be more difficult for some people to work out what they really connect with but I was listening to 
a podcast, a really good podcast, podcast. If anybody's interested, it's called The Road Back to You. And it's by two wonderful Enneagram teachers who just interview people who are different types and ask them what it's like to be their type, which I found for me is the most useful way of me then discovering what I am because other people say things that I then really feel in my, in my heart and I really connect with. And I was on the bus on the way to London um, to meet my mum and someone on the podcast who was my number said something and I just immediately burst into tears because I was like I have never realized how much I need to hear what they've just said I have no idea that so much of what I do so much of what drives me so much of what I seek is that particular validation and reassurance in that particular way I got off the bus at the end I was like mom I've discovered this thing called the enneagram you've got to do a test and I'll come on to tests in a minute they're actually not that brilliant um but I was desperate in that moment to share that with somebody else and to find out like are you the same as me are you different from me I need to know um and from I think that moment onwards I realized that it was a complete light bulb moment for me and I would genuinely say that there's been nothing throughout all of my training that has ever helped me personally and in my relationships quite so much as this and that might be because of the particular kind of person that I am and what it is that I've needed and wanted to connect to to help me in that way um but yeah I, I think I just then assumed I'm not going to be able to use this can't you really use this in the NHS definitely can't use this with children wouldn't begin to um think about telling a child what personality type they are while they're still you know developing um but the more I thought about it and when I had my um my son who is now two and a half I started to think about whether I wanted to go back to the NHS full-time um when he was a little bit older I always knew I wanted to do part-time after maternity leave and I came down on the side of no <laughs> and that I maybe wanted to do something a little bit different um, and of course I think from most of the psychologists that I've spoken to I think we're all quite similar in that we come out the other end of training and oh thank god I don't need to do any training or anything ever again I'm a psychologist now and then within about two weeks we're like <laughs> right what else can I do what else can I train in I kind of miss learning um, maybe I want to write another case study um, and so I started looking into some of the different um different therapies that I didn't know very much about and trying to think about what would interest me and lots of things interest me I honestly I want to do everything but the thing I kept coming back to the thing that I realized I wanted to talk to people about this passionately was the Enneagram and it was around the same time that um, a an Enneagram coach that I knew and I followed her work and I really liked the way she spoke about things and very um, compassionate and very practical way again what do we do with this information now that we've got it how's it going to apply in your life and your relationships and your work was launching her own certification program and it was the end of 2020 when we were pretty sure we were going to go into another lockdown again and I kind of went oh, it's a good time as any in it I'm not going to go out in the evenings anytime soon <laughs> so I signed up and I did that and that was that and listening to your podcast around the same time was the what pushed me over the edge really to go I'm I'm going to actually take some action here I'm not just going to sit and think and plan and dream which I can do forever um, and realizing through doing the coaching and, and thinking more about my own type as well identifying the things that for me were going to hold me back um, you know what okay yes I can be called a people pleaser and a perfectionist and I've got imposter syndrome and all those things but but why why are those things there for me what's my particular um, hang-ups around that and what's the particular way that that comes out for me and what is it that I'm seeking so for me it's all about I want to be needed um, and wanted um, and useful to people 
So one of the problems with that when it comes to setting up your own business is um, you can never be everything that everybody needs and wants. And thinking that, oh, maybe somebody isn't going to be interested in this, this isn't going to be useful to somebody can paralyze me. Um, And needing to come around the other side of going, but somebody might want it and that's enough. Actually, you don't have to serve everybody, which yes. I know what you've done a lot of your, your trainings about, which has really, really helped me to go. And as soon as I'm aware that that's what's holding me back, because if someone's ever said to me, do you think it's possible to be absolutely everything that everybody needs? I'm gonna go, well, of course not. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I realize then that uh, that particular hang up and that fear is what's underneath, I can think through it more logically and I can move past it. Um, I'm not really answering your question. I'm going around the houses, but I'm going to get there. <laughs> I am. Another thing I've learned about myself through the Enneagram work, I am a verbal processor. So my thoughts make sense to me as they're coming out of my mouth. Um, so I knew I, I really, really needed to use this and want this because I was just so passionate about talking to people about it. And I think if you see something that's been so beneficial in your own life, you just want to share that because I genuinely believe it would be useful for other people. So I did all of the things on your checklist and set up all the things I need to do um, to make sure that I could I could start seeing clients. And I started really small Um, and I set up a website and um, marketed myself as, you know, a a therapist and an Enneagram coach um, with an ideal that I would be able to combine those two. um, Really, I think working in cams is so great and so rewarding and so tough that I wanted to do something that wasn't that. I really, really want to be able to stay in the NHS NHS for as long as possible. I'm really quite passionate about that, but I know I will burn out if I do that full time. And if I only do that kind of work, um, I think I will struggle. So I thought I need something that's gonna balance that out a little bit. So I'm predominantly working with adults now. Um, I'm predominantly again with people who do not have the same kind of need that would get you into mental health services people who want to do more of the um the coaching side I suppose or people who might have had therapy previously and they understand quite a bit about themselves but they want a bit of a top up or ongoing or they want to understand themselves from this particular perspective it's so interesting this I would say probably the second most frequently asked question I get is what's the real difference between therapy and coaching (laughs) Uh, yeah. And I think what you're speaking to there is that if you are a, a clinical psychologist or a therapist and you're also offering coaching, I wouldn't say there is a clear boundary. No. Is that how you experience it too? Absolutely. And actually, I had a consultation with somebody yesterday who said, oh, well, what is the difference between therapy and coaching? Like, how do you coach versus how do you do therapy? And I said, honestly, I can't switch one off. Mm-hmm. I can't stop being a therapist just because we're doing a bit more coaching work. Um, and I think for me, it's about the, the knowledge and the expertise that I've gained over the years from lots of different areas. Um, and, and that's what makes me be able to do what I do the particular way that I do it, mm-hmm. um, which, again, is, is what I'm trying to feel in myself as well as tell other people that you are a one-off you know only you can do what you can do the way you can do it so it's difficult I think sometimes to put yourself out there if you see any other therapists or psychologists that are doing something similar to what you want to do and it's daft to think that you there isn't enough work to go around for everybody but also that because one person sets themselves up and goes I do Enneagram coaching and therapy that nobody else can come in and do that because I wouldn't be I wouldn't do things the way that every client needs it to be done or wants it to be done 
Um, and that was, again, something that was quite encouraging for me at the beginning to go, I, I do, it's, it's really, honestly, very difficult for me to say these words. I think I'm good at what I do. Yay. Ah, Yay. Um, it's really hard for me to do that. Um, but I think I'm good at what I do. And I think we all do have those moments, don't we, where we come out of a particular session and we go, yes, I, this is why I do what I do. I am great. And then for some people, it doesn't take very much to knock that back and, um, and make you doubt yourself again. So taking that step forward to go, I think this is going to be helpful for people. And I think I can do it well. I'm going to give it a go. And then finding that it did work and people do want it and it is benefiting people. Um, it's just inspiring me to, to keep going and to just rave about the Enneagram with the people who want that. Oh, I, then, love, I love hearing that. And I just want people to take a minute to let that land because I think the most powerful thing when imposter syndrome is raging and, and you feel terrible about yourself, it's remember those moments because you do have them or you wouldn't have got this far. Yes. <laughs> like you, those moments where you feel like you really connected, you saw the shift for somebody, just go back to those moments and remember how you felt. And just use that as the push that you need to keep going. <laughs> One of my colleagues, actually, when she left my team um, about a year ago, she brought us all these tiny little notebooks. I think mine's over there. It has a Disney quote on the front. And she's written in the front of it, um, use this book to keep a note of all of the things that go well, or the compliments that you get from clients so that when you're having your more difficult days with work, you can look back over these and remember why you do what you do. I thought that is a great idea because when someone gives you one of those amazing compliments and says you've changed their life you think you're never going to forget that and of course you do you don't want to think you will um but you do so I have done exactly that mm. um and not every time I do forget but I try and carry it around with me whether I'm at home or in the office and um and think about after a session if there's anything that I want to put in there um yeah and then you originally you know how do I use this in NHS work um not overtly obviously not with children and not in an NHS setting but what I always have in the back of my mind which helps me with formulating is I'm going to assume that if someone comes to me and says that they are struggling with for example social anxiety and the way people perceive them my brain is going to stop pinging about reasons why I think that they're struggling with that and it's useful for me to be able to then take a step back and go, oh, but I'm aware of nine different core fears here now suddenly. And there are so many different reasons why someone might come to me with what on the surface looks like the same kind of problem. So I think it's just helped me to add layers to my formulations, which of course I always check out. And whether we're doing kind of traditional therapy or Enneagram coaching, it's all about collaboration. It's all about, I'm gonna throw this out there as a hypothesis and see whether this sticks for you and, and, and get you to tell me what your experience is like. Um, but also then any assumptions that I make about clients, I think I question them a lot more, a lot quicker and not in a, am I wrong kind of way, but in a, I know that this is the assumption I'll make because of the lens that I'm looking through. And so I know I need to question that. And it's not about me being wrong. It's about me only having one way of seeing the world mm -hmm. and appreciating that that's not going to be the same for everybody, which again, really helps me because for again different reasons people don't like to be wrong and that can be very threatening to your sense of self so it's really helpful it's, it's given a really helpful framework for me to just question in a way that doesn't feel quite as threatening to me yeah so it kind of helps you to self-reflect on assumptions you might be making but also gives 
kind of nine different angles to look at a behavior from. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I guess that's really useful when you're generating hypotheses uh, about why somebody might be behaving in a certain way. Gosh, my brain is just going over all these formulations I've got going on at the moment and thinking, <laughs> hmm, I wonder if I've done that and if I should really go back and, um, and have a look from a few different angles. Very, very useful. And again, a really good example of how sometimes we're not using a particular protocol or a for or formal approach, but everything that we've learned is still there in our minds informing how we formulate. And I think often we can be encouraged to be like, right, today I'm doing EMDR. I'm not doing CBT today. Or today I'm going to do pure CBT because that's what the insurer asked for. But actually, if you've got training in other stuff, it will enter your formulation. It will enter the way that you work. You can't switch it off. Um, and I think it's great to acknowledge that. Yeah. Um, it doesn't and matter what kind of therapy you have with me. You're going to get some ACT exercises in there, for example. Like, <laughs> yes, you can't switch you just that are. <laughs> It's always there. And CFT as well. And I, I think I get asked this a lot because I do um, business coaching with other psychologists and therapists. And people often say to me, oh, well, um, where did you learn to, to do that coaching? I was like, well, I have done some formal kind of coaching training, but that's not really where I got the skills that I use. I feel that I'm using my act and my CFT. Um, and of course my business knowledge as well. Um, but really it's my core therapy. I'm, I'm not very different in the therapy room to how I am when I'm coaching people. It's it, all of your experience is up there <laughs> in your head and you should be confident to, to say that to people. Um, yeah, I've been on a bit of a rant there, but I just, it's really nice to hear somebody talking about that explicitly when I've been thinking about it for a while. So how are you most commonly helping people at the moment? Who's your typical client that comes to you for Enneagram work? So I'd say the people who have found me and reached out to me are people who have heard about the Enneagram, either don't know much about it and are intrigued, and are looking for something for themselves. So often people, they're not sure whether they want therapy or whether they want coaching or counseling, um, but they're interested in the Enneagram. So they've done a bit of a Google search and um, I don't think there are many, if any other therapists using the Enneagram um, in the UK at the moment, there are other coaches or teachers, um, but I haven't come across anybody else who's trained as a, as a clinical psychologist. So some people have found me and just gone, ah, you're, you're what I want, because actually I, I want somebody who can um, walk the line between these, or at least who can help me understand what it is that I need, because a lot of people don't know what they want um, or what they need. They might know that they want to process something or want some help around something. But I realize every time any of these questions get asked on like professional Facebook groups about can anybody else help me to think about how I would explain the distinction between this, um, this role and this other role, I go, I'm still learning that. And I feel like I can explain much more confidently what a clinical psychologist does, but still not as confidently what an educational psychologist or occupational psychologist or even psychiatrist does, because I don't do those jobs. Um, so it's incredibly confusing for people who don't work in the area at all to know what it is that they want. So I have had a few people come to me and say, I don't actually know what I need. Could you help me figure that out? Um, and then because I do 
kind of straddle both of those areas, um, often I'm able to offer them something that they say, yep, yeah, that sounds great, I want that. Um, I also had people who, um, they, they want a therapist, but they want someone who knows the Enneagram because they have already come across it and they do know their type and they want to be able to talk about that in a very Enneagram way with someone who understands what that means. Um, so that even if they don't feel that they need the Enneagram coaching side of things, they're already quite confident with how to, to use that and they're doing their own reading. They need to be able to discuss that with someone who knows what they're talking about. Um, so I'd say those are the two, two main um, kind of groups of people at the moment. That's really interesting. And is there anything that these people have in common? Because I've heard of the Enneagram on business podcasts. So I was wondering if you might get a particular client group, because that I know business is an area where the Enneagram is starting to explode, especially in the States. Um, people are talking about it more. Or are they from all different walks of life? That's a very good question. No, I don't. I'm going to go away after this and think about it. I'm going to see some like patterns, but no, I don't think there's any particular walk. I think it is just about whether they happen to have come across the Enneagram, which I think people have done in lots of different ways. It is much more popular in the States. Mm. Um, there's much more, mo there are many more kind of coaching programs and um, kind of big Enneagram teachers that are based in the States. Um, it isn't based in any one religion. No, I think along the way, as with most things, lots of different religions have tried to claim it. It isn't, has, doesn't have a basis in any one religion, um, but does have or can have a fairly strong spiritual aspect to it. If you um, have a faith that um, you believe that you've been, I don't know, that has anything to do with connection to the universe or that you've been created by a deity. Um, again, that trying to uncover exactly what that essence is for you um so it fits very nicely um with faith-based um, organizations as well so as i'm thinking there are some people who have come across it through their faith communities and that it's been something that's um been mentioned or for example i know my local church has done a couple of um groups around the enneagram um helping people to to think about that and discover their own type um over the last couple of years um I would say one thing that everybody who has come to me has in common is they really want to understand themselves mm. um, more than they want to solve a problem or work towards a goal, actually, if that makes sense. So whereas in CAMS, people come and say, I have this problem, help me fix it. Um, people are coming to me much more saying yeah you know maybe I have difficulties and there are things that are hard in my life at the moment but generally I just want to understand myself more so that I can understand how I'm dealing with these situations and then take that forward so it's more of a, a whole life I'm going to take this forward in everything approach rather than I have one problem that I need one solution for which of course is not how we work but that's often what people come to us asking for isn't it yeah I can see how that must feel really refreshing actually and um, to get people who are on that journey of self-discovery rather than just needing to fight a fire mm. I think often when I get frustrated in clinical work it's because we've done our sessions on fighting the fire and I'm like right this is the beginning <laughs> um but perhaps it's perceived that it should be the end um and I think that that happens more commonly in the NHS. I think, you know, you get your 12 sessions, if you're lucky, with somebody. Are they having panic attacks anymore? No, 
Brilliant. Okay, <laughs> off they go then. You think, oh, but I'd really like to see you for a bit longer <laughs> and, uh, and work on that personal development that might mean that you don't end up in this situation again. Um, and we don't always get the opportunity to do that. So it sounds really rewarding to get to do that work and that this is maybe attracting people who really want to optimise their lives, I suppose. Yeah, you know, that's exactly what it is. It feels like a massive relief to not be firefighting, which is how I've described NHS work for a long time, yeah. actually. Um, it is, it's really refreshing. And I I need that kind of work, I've realised, in order to... I, I can't just work and rest. I can't work really hard in one area and then chill out and not work. I need a balance in the middle where I am working and doing something that I'm passionate about and enjoying. I need to be doing, not that my NHS isn't, but I need to be doing meaningful work that gives more to me than it takes. Mm. And I think there are times in my NHS work where that balance is fine. And obviously there are times where things get tricky and they dip. And so far my private work has always been tilted in the right direction. And as long as that's the case, then doing that alongside my NHS work even though that would seem to some people a bit bananas because if your NHS work is really hard then why are you taking on work outside of that actually that really helps me it boosts me and it gives me more of those like yeah I love what I do moments which I think helps helps with my rest and helps with the rest of my work. Oh I think that makes a lot of sense I think especially uh, I did a job where um, explicitly my job was to do something with the heart sink cases <laughs> um, which actually was it was a great job because what that meant was being innovative and having a kind of blank slate to to go into care homes as it was and design training for the teams and think in a totally different way about helping this individual um, so it was great but because of the constraints of the service and the budget constraints, you often didn't get to the finish line that you wanted. I would often design something that couldn't happen or, um, or you know, it might work really well, but you know there's no funding for that to continue long term. Um, so it would leave you with a bit of a oh, feeling. But a few private clients where you get to do exactly what you want to do <laughs> and the money doesn't run out uh, so you can keep going for as long as you need, that can give you that sense of professional fulfillment that you're, you're not always getting. It's kind of like scratching an itch, <laughs> I think, yeah. and it can be really useful to balance the two. And that's a story that I hear a lot in our community. Yeah, well, it's an opportunity to just try different things out as well that you just wouldn't be able to do. Mm. And I know you talk a lot about, you know, finding your ideal client and a niche and everything. But actually, at these early stages, particularly, you've got the opportunity to just go, I'm going to try a bit of anything and everything and see what I like. And that's OK. Um, and that might make your marketing more difficult at the beginning. But it, it is an OK part of the process to figure out what it is that you want to do, because if you do come down with a very specific niche, and you are going to wholeheartedly go that way. It's much better that you've decided, you've gone through a process of realizing that that's definitely what you want and what you definitely don't want. And I think that that's something that I realized I just hadn't ever stepped back and thought about in my NHS role because I've always assumed, and probably rightly so in a lot of cases, that there are going to be constraints around what I can and cannot do. Either because obviously I'm in a child and adolescent mental health service, so I'm never going to be working perinatally, for example. Um, but and that and that's okay. But I think that has also for me then stopped me questioning what work could lo look like. Until quite recently, when 
I did have a big think about what I wanted my work life to look like because I put so much effort into thinking about what I wanted that to be outside of the NHS that I started to question what it looked like in the NHS and I'm actually moving roles at Easter still within the NHS and still within CAMS um, but it made me question what I want to be doing day to day and what my current role could offer and couldn't um, and seek something different out so um, that's been really helpful as well um, I don't know that this is I, you know it, I'm hoping it's going to be a really good move for me but it's me stepping out of my comfort zone to be able to try something new rather than staying where I staying with what I know mm. um, which is again something that I'm making myself do because it doesn't come very naturally <laughs> <laughs> but it seems like there's a real theme running through this of you know discovering something about yourself trying things out feeling into it almost mm. feeling how it feels and then making an informed choice after that about what you want to do yeah um and yeah it sounds like a really powerful tool for you and also for your clients but you touched on something that I just want to circle back to there and that's about the marketing and how it, it kind of is I would say more difficult to market when you're looking for this quite broad group of people who actually all have something very fundamental in common that need for self-discovery but who might have really different ways of talking and, and being and googling <laughs> um, from each other so how have you been finding people for your coaching practice so early on I remember having a conversation with somebody about like I'm really struggling to think of a niche really struggling to know who it is that I really want to work with because obviously like I said I've, I've always worked with kids and that is still something that I'm really passionate about but I can't do this Enneagram work with kids um, and I don't want to do as much private work with children so with that aside I was really struggling to think about who my ideal client might be or what it is like particularly wanted to to do and to sell and to market um, until someone turned around to me and went you're a therapist that does Enneagram like that's your niche and I went oh yeah <laughs> but it's something about even though I know that's true it's something about immediately seeing what I can offer is not special enough mm. and thinking I don't have as much as that person over there I need to be um really specialist in one very particular area and then seeing all of the other areas that other people are specialist in and going oh well I'm not specialist in that and that's such a just stop focusing on other people I think the do more than therapy community has been so helpful for examples of what people can do and for highlighting that not everybody does things in the same way not everybody gets to where they want to be in the same way but it's human nature isn't it to just look at what somebody else does and go well if I can't do that I'm not sure what I can do um, but again recognizing that in myself and having people around me who point that out um, I often have conversations with people about what I do either any of our more psychology um, and say something that I just think is so obvious and they go oh my gosh that's a really good point and I have to remind myself that just because I live in a psychology world and I have conversations with people who understand the language I use and think about the same things that that is not the norm and that's not everybody and that actually I'm reaching outside of that bubble and not within it so yes what I do offer that is a niche um, so I I put quite a lot of effort into setting up a website and I don't mean this in a, everybody go and look at my website it's the best but I did it myself and I really wanted to make sure that I was really happy with the information that was on there before it went out so I was a little perfectionistic about that oh I've um, got to say it's a really good site I oh, can't believe you. you did that yourself <laughs> oh yeah and I, like it's, it's through a 
um, a, just a, you know, build it yourself, very easy um, thing. I don't know how to do any kind of web design or coding or anything, but yes, this was, this looks pretty. I like it. It does. It looks really good. Oh, well done. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and then really started to think about um, two ways of doing things, I suppose. One is very actively reaching out and trying to find people and places that might be interested in me. And then the other side is, of course, um, have a little play on social media. So I set up um, an Instagram account, a Facebook account, a LinkedIn account. Um, Instagram is definitely where I feel more comfortable. Um, it's where I spent more time before setting up in private practice. So I'm just more familiar with the functionality of it. Um, and I'm trying to work out whether I want to do more on Facebook and LinkedIn or whether I think I should. Mm. And when I know the answer to that question, it's going to go one way or the other <laughs> as to how much time I spend on there. But I'm happy with where I am at the moment. Um, and I think Instagram has been a real place for me of just trying to, again, work out what it is that I want to do and what I want to put out there. Because knowing that I'm, a, again, a therapist who knows the Enneagram, there's just a million different things I could put out there and say about that. And um, I, I think I made the mistake early on of either trying to give, again, too much information or trying to be too varied in content. And um, it, as soon as I realised that, it's very easy to go like, oh, well, you're doing a rubbish job then, as opposed to going, no, actually, this is fine. You haven't done this before. You're working it out as you go along. And I would rather be putting stuff out there and giving it a go and seeing what the feedback is than sitting there wondering what should go out there and then just doubting everything and never putting anything oh absolutely I, I think testing is is everything because it's a conversation essentially so I, I did a talk this morning for a networking group and somebody asked me whether I used um, the disc framework for um, what, what's it it called market research understanding your audience and I said no <laughs> I've never heard of that the imposter syndrome in me was like no because you're too stupid and you don't know anything about it but I was like no I, I don't I don't use anything like that because actually I want to talk to people and once I've spoken to people then I try and create the stuff on social media, which I think they want to see or they need to see. And it's a slower process. And it means sometimes I get it totally wrong and I put stuff out there, which nobody wants to see. <laughs> I'm confident of it, but I don't really care because every now and again, I'll put something out there, which clearly does resonate with people. And I'll just do more of that. But if you're in your head reading a textbook for too long about how to do market research for example then you're not going to have those conversations and actually find out what people want from you so I see it as you know if you put a reel up there you're opening up a conversation if people then talk back then you know this isn't an interesting conversation and you'll carry it on if they don't then you'll move on to a different topic just like you would at a party yeah and I think I have I have found information about how to use different platforms and mistakes that other people think they've made and things that other people have tried and has worked or not worked for them really really useful mm. um but it can also feel like overwhelming amount of information and of course everybody is selling the top five ways to get a hundred thousand followers or you know and 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 that kind of certainty of success is impossible to promise um 
but as long as people are selling it we can kid ourselves that it's there and if we're not getting it then we're getting something wrong and I think I'm in a really lucky place at the moment of like I said because people seem to have just found me through googling primarily um then I've I'm, I'm happy with the number of clients I'm, I've got like I said I have a toddler I'm still working part-time in the NHS and I'm really happy for this to be a time when I am testing things out and I'm working out what kind of clients and what kind of work I want to take on and thinking about how much in the future I want to be staying with the one-to-one work versus offering a few more workshops that I would be able to do during kind of school hours or evenings um, uh, versus online courses and workshops and things like that and I'm just still thinking about it whilst still moving forward and I think the risk that the pitfalls that I could have fallen into would have been to do too much research to try and be too certain before doing anything Mm. or to commit to everything um, and and not see it as a learning process whatsoever and be like well this is what I'm doing now Um, and I'm really really trying to just evaluate all the way along the way um is this the right amount for me right now is this too much is this does this feel like it's having too much of an impact on my family life because I'm, I'm not around for too many bedtimes or things like that and and just go okay well I'm not going to drop a client right now but when I finish with someone I'm not going to pick anybody else up for a while and just constantly evaluating that balance because again it's going to change um and how I feel at one point is going to be different six months later um so I don't feel like I have to very actively and very aggressively market myself in a way that I would need to if I was much more dependent on this for income. Mm. Um, So I do feel incredibly lucky in that because I know that not everybody's in that position. Um, And I'm slightly terrified of when I have to up my game. (laughs) (laughs) But when you do, you'll be doing it from a foundation of having that time, getting to know the people that you like working with. Because you say at the moment, the, the challenge, the marketing challenge, is that um, there's not like a really specific client group. But the more that you work with people, you'll be able to go back through the ones that worked the most effectively with you, that you got the most of those kind of light bulb moments with mm-hmm. and look at what did they have in common? Uh, what were the struggles? How did they speak about their struggles? And all of those questions that I annoyingly ask everybody in the specialism workshop, you'll be able to answer all of those based on the clients that you've loved working with. So it just emerges over time. Yeah. And when and once you've got that, that's when you amplify the audience, launch your online course, <laughs> all of all of that stuff. But it's just really lovely to to hear you describing the self-compassion really giving yourself that time and space for that stuff to come slowly um because that's where you're at right now and that's I I wish more people had that attitude and maybe it comes from knowing your Enneagram (laughs) maybe it comes it's honest it's very difficult and it's it's very intentional um I'm very aware of how much I need to be more compassionate towards myself um but I am enjoying it as well and I think that's lucky um and I'm reminding myself all the time because this is what I do in my work and this is what I tell other people that there is no roadmap to success and what success looks like for one person isn't the same as what it looks like for another person anyway so it is absolutely pointless to start a private practice to launch an online course to do anything and have a particular idea in your head of where you should be or want to be because you don't know that that's going to be possible Um, and I am I did a a workshop recently for um, the other coaches um, the Enneagram coaches that trained through the same program that I did 
um, around values and building a values-based business because there was so many conversations happening through some kind of group coaching calls that we had and on the Facebook group about, oh, I haven't achieved this yet, or I haven't achieved that yet, or I didn't meet this goal and, and going, actually, I think we need to have a conversation as a community here about, um, about values versus goals, really, and, and about this. Um, and it was really well received. And I thought I could pad this out, actually, and help other people with it. So I have uh, been trying to make it a little bit more um, than it was because I left a lot of, of, of time in this session as well for reflection and discussion so that it was me facilitating a space and not kind of expertly leading um, to to do I suppose it's a mini online course slash workshop um, around this idea at the at the beginning it was going to be about values in your your business but I've broadened it out actually to just think about your work life more generally mm. um, that I I am no I am going to do it I'm going to put this online yeah maybe even by the time this podcast goes out Rosie but oh, it's fantastic. nearly done and I've set aside a bit of time this week to do some recording um but that's going to be what's out there and I think the more we Jeff is this thing where you realize you've been telling other people the same thing and you haven't been listening to it yourself and I was kind of hit with this a few months ago I was like I've got to listen to my own advice my own advice at the moment is chill out if you're enjoying it that's the main thing and if you're not or you're not getting to where you want to get to as quickly just you know question your ideas of where you want to get to and how and why you want to get there um and and think about that in terms of values and what else you can be achieving along the way so that you feel that sense if you do need to feel that sense of success and pride in, in what you're doing we when you put you put a lot of yourself into your own business i've realized just how much people put into them put of themselves just into the picture that you use on the front page of your website and how you describe yourself in a way that I've never realized before when I've read other people's web pages. And then as soon as I had to do my own, I was bricking it about how I was going to be seen. So to everybody out there who's put yourself on a web page, well done. But you do then pour so much of yourself into that that of course you want to feel like you're getting some reward from that. But yeah, just there's so many different ways of getting that. Um, and I'm trying to just be really, really happy with the way that I'm getting it right now. I think um, it's such a good piece of advice for, for two reasons, really. Firstly, because if you're not enjoying your practice right now, then what's the point in it? That, because most of us, we could have jobs in the NHS or somewhere else. We could be full time if we're part time. We've chosen to do private work because we wanted something, usually flexibility, work-life balance, whatever you want to call it, but something. And if your practice is not delivering that for you right now, then don't do it. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And I really, I'm talking to my previous self really here, but it's like, don't create a business that you hate working in um, because you could have that and have somebody else doing the admin you've actually got to enjoy the work you're doing right now, not just live for the idea of the future, um, which I think we can be a bit prone to. Um, but I also think it's really valuable, the idea of defining your own success that you mentioned and allowing that to be your own definition. For me, success is being able to do the school run. Mm. Like that's what I really wanted and I've achieved that. And so why would I feel bad about the fact that I don't make as much money as my my friend down the road who's able to work, you know, much longer hours than I am and, you know, therefore earns much more money? Why would I feel bad about that? My success 
was being able to earn enough money for my family while being able to do the school run <laughs> and I can do that yay <laughs> actually have to go and do that in a minute um, <laughs> um but that you know I must never forget that that was the definition that I set myself and I think we often do we achieve something and then just move on our sights just change and often they you know go on to the shiny object that somebody else told us to chase yeah. rather than what we set out what our values told us was important at the beginning yeah or achieve something and then think that there's just just stick there and and don't see what else you could do that's that would be other enneagram types that would fall more into the the trap of just going yep yeah, this is fine um and not say oh well, it might be fine um could it be better um and maybe not and that's fine but that's that constant awareness and questioning of okay i've been here i've been here for a while do i want anything to change nope fine but yes okay let's go um and that might look like not having done very much but it might just be being caught up in the rat race mm. of i've been doing things the same way for ages and i haven't had that opportunity like i said with my nhs role i haven't had the opportunity to step out of that sit down and go hang on a minute do i want this to be the same or do i want it to change i feel like i desperately want to know my enneagram type now <laughs> it's really difficult not to go and start um, looking up how i can get assessed um well actually i should ask because i'm sure there are lots of people listening to this who are desperate to find out more desperate to connect with you so where can we find out more about you and the enneagram and how you work yeah so uh, my website is enneagrampsychology.co.uk i'm enneagram psychology on facebook and enneagram psych on instagram um i've, I've got some um pretty good summary posts on my instagram page um about the different types and the different types um in different situations so um for example like ways that um Call it something like there's lots of different ways to be an amazing parent and all the different strengths that can come out or um, amazing at work or an amazing friend and things like that, as well as summaries of core motivations and things like that. Um, the best way to find out your type is to read descriptions of your of the different types and see which ones seem to fit and definitely not fit with you. Narrow it down in the first instance. And then I honestly do think that listening to podcasts listening to other people talk about what it's like to be different types when they've done some of that work and seeing what it is that really that you really connect with is some of the best ways it's really not about taking a test you can take tests and there are some fairly all right free ones online as well as ones you can pay for um but they will give you rank ratings and numbers and tell you what likelihood it is that you're different types but because it is such a complex model and because it is about your motivations, there's so many ways that that can go wrong um, and that you can be mistyped. Um, so I think it's really important that this is, because it is important. If you're gonna know yourself, you need to know yourself and not think you know yourself. Um, so I really would recommend that people do a bit more reading and yeah, listen to other people talk about it, what it's like to be them or go to a coach and, and work through it with people and um, have conversations with someone who knows more about the whole model so that if people go, well, I, I kind of thought I was this number, but then I'm not quite so sure about that, um, that, that know some of the common reasons why that might be happening um, and can help you figure out a little bit more. I have a free typing guide on my, uh, through my bio on my Instagram page um, where you can download quite an easy, um, uh, overview of the different types again and, and just ask you a couple of reflective questions to try and work out um, and then there is a website called the Enneagram Institute that has so much information on there 
if you're a big information person head there amazing <laughs> if you're needing it a little bit more concise head for my typing guide amazing so I'll put all of those links in the show notes and I'm going to head over to your Instagram straight after this <laughs> or after I've done school I was going to say you're going to go get your kids first <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, it's been so helpful to talk to you thank you so much for your time today um, and I very much look forward to connecting with you in the future especially finding out what my Enneagram is <laughs> thanks Rosie I look forward to finding out do you dream of creating an online course Are you desperate to reach more people, but skeptical that you can actually make it work? The truth is a lot of online courses made by psychologists and therapists do fail, but that isn't because the content is bad. It's because the marketing strategy sucks. And the truth is your marketing isn't a separate thing. Talking to the community that you want to serve should be part of the development of the course getting to know them, giving them free resources and building relationships while you build your course in the background is the key to success that most psychologists and therapists miss. Well, not you, (laughs) because you can download my free course creation guide and get yourself on the right track to creating a course that people actually want and need. The guide talks you through the first essential steps that you must take when planning your course so you can avoid the expensive mistakes that I see so many well-intentioned people making. Get yours at psychologybusinessschool.com now. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Business of Psychology podcast. If you share my passion for doing more than therapy, then make sure you come over and join my free Do More Than Therapy Facebook community, where you can work on getting your big ideas off the ground with like-minded psychologists and therapists. I'd also love it if you could leave this show a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It will help more of the people who need it to find it. See you next week for more tips and inspirational stories to help you do more than therapy.